Welcome to episode number two of the Bearded and Nerdy Podcast, your home for news and reviews for some of the biggest events in superhero culture. We're talking movies, TV shows, comics, conventions, you name it, I got it. I'm your host, Michael Georgie, and I cannot thank you guys enough for listening to Bearded and Nerdy episode one. It was great to get some compliments, some feedback, some constructive criticism on my very first podcast ever. I was really nervous going into it. But you guys quelled that pretty much immediately, and Duncan and I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, But speaking of Duncan, you may notice that there's only one voice coming through your speakers today, and you would be correct. I am not being joined by my co-host Duncan Miller today. Purely a logistical thing. Duncan lives in Tampa. I live in Tallahassee. But rest assured, the second I get back to Tampa, we will be bringing some podcast action to your ear holes. Uh, But enough of that. Time to move on to our topic today. And if my spidey senses were not tingling before, they certainly are now. Because at the time that I'm recording this, we just got a new Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. And I gotta say, it looks promising. We really don't have too much to go off of. It's a teaser trailer. But it looks like you got your standard Marvel formula. Got some humor. Got some action. Doesn't deviate to the, from the norm too much. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, of course, is looking great as Mysterio. Super great to see Mysterio finally... Uh, wedge his way into a Spider-Man film. And I, yeah, again, looks promising. Not too much to go off of, but I'm going to remain optimistic. But of course, we better keep on moving because we are not talking about Peter Parker today. We are going to be talking about the new kid on the block. That's right, Miles Morales. We are reviewing the new Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie. And I'll admit, I'm a bad fan. I caught it late. I was probably sitting in the theaters for two, three weeks before I was actually finally able to get to go see it. But keep in mind, it came out the same weekend as Aquaman, and most of my emotional and mental capacity was dedicated to that for a while. I needed some time to recharge before I caught another superhero film. But rest assured, my buddy Dexter, we got some popcorn, we got to our local AMC, reclined in those seats, and gotta say, I absolutely Loved it. And there was so much to love about this movie. We had some great animation, an awesome soundtrack, and my favorite part, the characters were just so fleshed out. The relationships between them were so great. And of all the great things about this movie, we have to put the centerpiece. The main thing that I truly believe made this movie great was the protagonist, Miles. And I was actually a little unfamiliar with Miles Morales going into the theater. And it made it a very different movie-watching experience for me. Because when I go into a superhero film, I oftentimes have this preconceived notion as to what the film is going to be like based on my level of familiarity with the character. If I were to go see Aquaman or Thor or Doctor Strange, I'm going to go into those movies looking for lore, for references, and most of all, comparing the character to... Other versions of that character that I can find in comic books and animated series and what have you. And because I never really had any of that with Miles, I could just kind of view the character and for for what he is in the film 
and I get to be introduced to him for the first time. And honestly, I fell in love with Miles in the first 10 minutes just because of how well he was established. At the very beginning of the film, we see his relationship with his family, with his new environment, and how he's able to acclimate it, and see how that plays into his ability to acclimate to his new powers. And we we see right from the get-go that he is very different from Peter Parker. But at the same time, he's kind of similar. Peter Parker, you know, he was a nerd, and he got bullied, and Miles is clearly pretty cool. He's hip, but... The thing that makes Peter Parker so great, and I truly believe that he is probably Stan Lee's greatest creation, and of course he created that with the legendary Steve Ditko, rest in peace to the both of them, but of course, again, the main thing that I think that made Peter Parker great is what makes Miles Morales great as well, and that's the relatability factor. Uh, for a superhero to last, to have any longevity in our culture, they have the audience has to be able to relate to them. And Peter Parker was our Spider-Man for many, many decades and many generations. And, of course, we've had other Spider-Beings, spider as we saw in this film, occur throughout the years. But Peter Parker has always remained the, the main Spider-Man. But because the audience is able to relate to Miles Morales's, you know, Difficulty to adapt to new situations, his, you know, his hesitance when it comes to taking on big levels of responsibility. Everybody can relate to that. And I could definitely see Peter Parker passing the torch to Miles Morales as the new Spider-Man for a whole new generation. And especially this movie being on the big screen makes Miles really, really important. There's a lot of pressure on this character to really drive it home. And I think they did an amazing job. And I could definitely see my children and my grandkids really loving Miles Morales, just as I grew up on Peter Parker and just as my dad grew up on Peter Parker. And, of course, Miles wasn't acting alone in this film. There was an excellent cast of other superheroes, We'll call them the alternate Spider-Men for my sanity's sake just because they are men and women and pigs and little girls and it can get all very confusing. But the alternate Spider-Men were definitely a point of worry for me because I could definitely see them falling into the exact same thing that killed the second Amazing Spider-Man film and the third installment of the Sam Raimi trilogy is when you introduce too many characters that you don't develop well enough and the movie seems kind of clumsy, it seems a little rushed, everything seems forced. Yeah, so when they said, yeah, there's going to be like six Spider-Men in this film... And Miles Morales is going to be the main character. I was absolutely worried because how are they going to develop six superheroes at once? The way they pulled it off was they kind of didn't. Obviously, you had the protagonist. You had Miles and they, they brought up his origin beautifully. But of the five other spider people... They really only chose to develop two, uh, those two being Spider-Gwen and Peter B. Parker. And this made it really, really easy to follow because 
you were really only focused on those three and the other three characters, Spider-Man Noir, uh, Spider-Ham, and Penny Parker, were kind of acted as NPCs. They kind of followed whatever ideology the collective was thinking, and they didn't they didn't push the plot in either direction, but they did reinforce the general the general feeling of Spider-Gwen and Peter B. Parker, even when it came time to disagree or lay off Miles Morales, essentially, from his role as Spider-Man. But no set of heroes is complete without a solid villain. And as a huge fan of Spider-Man's villains, probably I'm probably a bigger fan of Spider-Man's villains than I am Spider-Man himself, they picked a really good one. We finally got Kingpin. It's been a really, really long time since we got Kingpin in a movie. And I loved it. Loved it. Be- for, for a lot of different reasons. But I think a lot of it had to do with the way Kingpin was portrayed in this movie in particular. I grew up watching a lot of the reruns of the original Spider-Man animated series and, and other ver- the other Spider-Man animated series. And... Kingpin is often portrayed as, you know, as kind of a crime boss and he works behind the scenes. And that's that's more or less what Kingpin does. But we kind of forget that Kingpin is incredibly powerful. So powerful enough to in this movie kill Spider-Man. Yeah, in this movie, I mean spoilers again. I mean if if you're w- listening to this, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you've seen the movie, but he kills Spider-Man. The, the Spider-Man that we are familiar with is is dead, and Kingpin killed him. He's incredibly powerful, and it was really great to see him use that brute strength because it's been a very long time since I've seen that. And, yeah, they did this his character justice, even down to uh, I love, like, the big blocky shape that they, that they gave him. I like that hyperbolized physique that Kingpin has. You know, normally he's just, like, a big dude, but, like, having his shoulders up all high made uh really aided in pushing the aesthetic of the film in that direction kind of keeping us keeping in mind that this movie is not rooted in the reality that we're familiar with and i mean that's not in just kingpin's character that's throughout the entire film it's present in so many other characters and i really enjoyed the reappropriation of some of those characters sorry if you can hear my paper i've got notes here I really enjoyed the reappropriation of a lot of those characters, the way some of those uh, characters that we're familiar with as Spider-Man, as Spider-Man fans, even if you don't know who Miles Morales is, you know Aunt May and you know Doc Ock. So it was kind of cool to see Aunt May act as an accomplice to Spider-Man as opposed to an identity, as opposed to um, somebody that Spider-Man had to hide his identity from to keep her safe. Going back to, I was discussing the animation earlier, I mean, it's probably a good time to just go ahead and just discuss how amazing the animation was. I cannot speak highly enough of the animation. One of the weird things, and one of the weird things that worked really well was doing the different art styles for the different spider people. Like, we had uh, Penny Parker, do we have obviously had the more like anime vibe and Spider-Man Noir was completely in black and white. And the slower scenes, it seemed to be more of like a stop motion, like Wallace and Gromit sort of thing, but that didn't really stop 
uh, the fluidity of the action sequences. And I loved the stylized, like, comic references, the the exclamation points whenever something surprising would happen, and, like, speech bubbles. It really does remind people that these movies, there is source material. They come from comic books. And the comic books are rad, and I'm so glad that they kind of, you know— when they made this animated movie, they reminded us and the audience of that. I thought that was truly awesome. And the movie, of course, was aided by a wonderful, wonderful soundtrack. And I was actually um, at work with one of my buddies, and I was mentioning um, that I was going to go see Spider-Verse that weekend. And he was like, dude, you're going to love the soundtrack. Here, let's listen to it now. And I listened to the whole soundtrack before the movie like a couple days before and I thought it was great then I just thought it was like a really good album but it was a whole nother thing to hear the the music in the context of the film and I loved the like the role that the Post Malone song had played in the film it's funny when I first heard it when they debuted it forever ago I was like, I, it kind of seemed like a, a an average Post Malone song. wasn't great, wasn't bad, but in the film, I could definitely see the role that it played. I love that as the movie progressed, Miles became more familiar with the lyrics of uh, "Sunflower" by Post Malone, and it kind of showed that progression. That symbolically showed that progression of how familiar Miles was becoming with his powers. So you had some excellent musical symbolism that I absolutely loved, but. Of course, you heard me say the words great and loved probably too much in this podcast, but it wasn't perfect for me. It was near perfect, but there were little things I had issues with. And keep in mind, it, I had a hard time finding issues. I really didn't have to look for these. These were just two things that right off the bat, I was in the theater, I was a little worried about. And of course, these aren't like movie-killing moments, but they were certainly things that I felt like could have and should have been handled better. And the first of which was the scene with the revealing of Miles's uncle as a Prowler. When Prowler was present throughout the film, we obviously saw that he was an antagonist and that he was a powerful antagonist that was working with Kingpin. But I was at no point really curious as to what his identity was and I never really felt the need to to learn it. I just I just didn't really think that he was a character of significance. I figured that at some point he would be overcome and then the spider people would go fight Kingpin. But of course he he did have a a identity of sorts and that was uh he was miles's uncle and i feel as if that reveal should have been I, it was supposed to be a really big emotional turning point in the film but it didn't come across that way because we really weren't all that familiar with miles's uncle from the get-go we had that moment you know of him in his uncle's apartment and of course Apparently, him and his uncle go spray paint walls in, in their free time. But those moments didn't seem all that significant to me. And, you know, I could see that those moments to me more symbolize that Miles looks to other people um, as a source of inspiration as opposed to his father. But 
I figured that was a trait of Miles and really not didn't have much to do with the significance of his uncle. So when his uncle was revealed to be Prowler, I I, I didn't really feel anything because it was just a character that I wasn't all that familiar with. But again, like I said, it's not a movie killer. It's just, again, it was supposed to be a really big moment, I think, and I didn't really feel anything. The more, the bigger issue that I had was actually with the way that Kingpin was overcome at the end of the film. And that was, of course, Miles did that shoulder thing that his uncle taught him, and he was able to electrocute Kingpin and rendering him, you know, unable to complete his plans. But again, this goes back to his uncle. I did not really feel an establishment between Miles and his uncle, so using a trick that his uncle had taught him to overcome the main villain in the film seemed kind of moot. It didn't really make a lot of sense. It just kind of seemed like an insignificant detail that was taught at the be- that was shown to us at the beginning of the film that was then brought up later. It, it didn't seem like much. Also, I don't know. When I was watching the film, I couldn't believe that Kingpin let Miles get that close to him after punching, like punching him and throwing things at him and throwing throwing him places. Kingpin let Miles get really close to him at the end of the film, and I thought that was thought that was uncharacteristic given how Kingpin was acting with literally everybody else. I didn't think that Kingpin would allow Miles to get that close. Uh, close enough to touch his shoulder and then render him un- like unconscious. So again, that was arguably the biggest moment of the film, you know, the the toppling of the main villain and the firm establishing of Miles as a character as Spider-Man and it kind of fell flat for me. But again, keep in mind these are two moments, two like split second moments that occur in over the course of an entire film. So it doesn't take away from the film too much, but it does drop it does drop it some points. It loses some points because those are big moments and those moments can, you know, depending on how they're handled, really change the climate of the film. And they didn't luckily the other the rest of the film was so good, those moments didn't weigh too heavily on me, but they weighed heavily enough for me to drop it from one score to another. And I guess while I'm talking about scores and ratings, I might as well give it the official bearded and nerdy rating. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it an eight and a half out of 10. If those two moments had been handled uh, a little better, I think, then we might have given it a nine or a nine and a half, but eight and a half for me, I would definitely go watch it again. I'm going to have to go ahead and think a little longer of where it ranks in terms of other superhero films for me or other Spider-Man films for me. That's that's not something I can I can come up with overnight, but I'm sure Duncan and I will be discussing um, our rankings of all the Spider-Man films as we get closer to Far From Home. But I also now I want to now that we're kind of going to the end of our podcast, I want to introduce a new segment that I have, and that's kind of a listener reviews. So we're talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So I went ahead and I asked my good friend, Brad, somebody who I see pretty much so many of my superhero films with. And we discussed these at length. We discussed these for for hours, just as I do with Duncan. But Brad and I, Brad and I have a tendency to disagree, but I always value his opinion. 
And I wanted to go ahead and get his opinion on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And as I do more reviews, I'm going to be asking you guys your opinions. And maybe one of you guys will make it on the podcast. Who knows? But let me go ahead. I've got Brad's review saved somewhere. Here it is. So Brad ranks Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse third um, in his top three Spider-Man films. That's behind Homecoming and Spider-Man 2 third being Spider-Verse. And he says, to me, I love Miles Morales as a character. His whole arc is pretty good. The animation he personally didn't care for at times, but he does recognize that it fit the aesthetic of the film. The uh, different types of spiders seemed pretty forced once it got into Aunt May, which is fair. That was kind of a rush scene, but older Spider-Man, Peter B., and Spider-Gwen were fantastic, and he cannot wait to see more of them. The alternate universe allowed the creatives to do unexpected things such as blonde Peter Parker, female Doc Ock, etc. The acting was great, and he truly does believe it's in his top three. So, clearly, the consensus amongst pretty much everybody I know, and, you know, obviously that, that review is a testament to that belief, This was a really good movie, and it makes me really excited to see more superhero films in the future, more animated films. Normally, I'm not one to go check out animated movies, but this this movie, it it, uh, made me have a change of heart. I am definitely going to be checking out some more animated superhero movies in the future. I, I certainly hope. I hope we get more. So that about wraps it up for the Bearded and Nerdy podcast today. If there's something you'd like me to cover, be it superhero news, trailer reviews, comic reviews, um, the conversation topics are truly endless. So yeah, give me your advice. Give me what topics you'd like me for me to cover in the future. But until I get one of those again, It is time for me to sign off. Michael Georgie out. Thank you guys for listening to episode number two of the Bearded and Nerdy podcast. Have a super day.